If you will, turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. And before we get started, let me just say, this is not to disparage anybody who's not here today. And we thank God for technology, but there is something great about being with God's people physically that makes a huge difference. Um, you can't get this online. And so uh, I'm grateful that you're here. I'm grateful that you chose to be here. Um, and I understand uh, and that it's a difficult decision during this time um, because of the virus. And so uh, I understand why people aren't here, but I am grateful to those who are. In 1 John 2, uh, we're going to be looking at living out God's commandments. Uh, so last week, we began a, ser a sermon series on a balanced way of Christian life, something that will allow us to grow spiritually. And the first thing we looked at was love, because uh, I think that love should be at the core center of everything uh, that we do. We continued that lesson uh, on Wednesday night. So we looked at um, Wednesday night and what it says in the uh, Corinthians passage about love and how if we do all these things and have not love, what's the purpose of doing them? Uh, and so last week, we kind of looked at this idea that doing things for God without a passion or a heart of love out a, a vision of seeing people's lives changed and, and that vision coming from a heart that desires people's lives changed, it doesn't really serve a purpose. The, the actions are in vain. Uh, but today I want to look at the fact that not only does love identify us as a Christian, our obedience to the commandments of God identify us as a Christian. And so even though I think love should be at the core center of everything we do, it's not a or proposal. So it's not, hey, you have love in your life or you have obedience in your life. And so you can either do all these things and not have love or you can love and not do anything. It's a, hey, I'm doing these things because I have love. I remember uh, years ago having a conversation with somebody who had just lost a loved one, just lost a relative, and, and they were talking about that individual. And the person was in their uh, late 70s, early 80s, and, and talking about how they were a Christian individual, and they spoke about being saved at the age of seven years old. And, and I remember throughout that conversation, I was like, so you know, what was their life like after that? Oh, well, they never really got involved in church or they never really, you know, believed in this whole corporate religion thing. And, and I was sitting there and I was thinking, okay, so you're talking about something that ha happened 70 years ago, this salvation experience, but yet there was no distinguishing marker on this individual's life past that moment. You know, and so oftentimes I think that we in specifically Southern Baptist culture have, have done harm to individuals by 
focusing on that salvation experience and not carrying it into a discipleship growth relationship. And so there are a lot of churches that make, hey, getting people saved a priority, which, hey, that is a priority, but then you just leave it there and they kind of just fall off to the side and you wonder, was there a real salvation there? Or was it forced, manufactured, because we kind of built our service around making sure that people walk the aisle and say a prayer? And so what I want to point out today is that we have to have obedience in our life. And so we have to look like Christ. We have to see the way he did things and the commandments that came out of his mouth. And we have to say, okay, I'm going to follow those things. Because I don't think that we can say, hey, I love Jesus, but I don't really like following his commands. I don't think those two things go together. You know, it's that whole idea of, man, I really love my parents, but I don't want to listen to them. How many of you think you would get away with that with your parents? No. Most of the parents would say, listen, you're either going to do this out of love or I'm going to beat you long enough that you're going to do it anyway. I don't promote that, but I'm just saying that's a reality. When we look at what Jesus does, Jesus is not going to beat us into submission. He wants all that we do to be out of love. He wants everything that we are to be based on a response to his love for us and out of that response, a love that returns to him. And so you're never going to see forced obedience. You're never going to see him beat you over the head with a Bible say, hey, until you get this, we're going to keep working on it. It's all about love. The Nobel Prize nominated Christian Henry Schaefer once said, that he was raised in a nominally Christian home, attending a Presbyterian church, and one day in the midst of a discussion in the kitchen, he made the point to his father about an ethical question, saying this, look, Dad, the Bible says such, such and such. And his dad responded, I know what the Bible says, but it's wrong. Now, In the article that he goes on to talk about, he says that we weren't just, you know, two Sundays a year churchgoers. We were there every Sunday. And my dad looked at me and said, yes, I get what it says, but we're not going to follow it. Now, I want to raise you as a good Christian individual, and I'm hoping that you have a salvation experience, but... We're not going to follow the teachings of Jesus, except for the fact that we get heaven if we accept him. Unfortunately, that's a reality in a lot of denominations. Unfortunately, that's a reality in a lot of westernized Christianity cultures. You know, I had this conversation with my father-in-law yesterday in the front yard, and we were talking about uh, our reality versus reality in other places. It's very acceptable in American culture to be a nominal Christian. 
It's very acceptable in American culture to identify with a church or identify with a denomination, but never actually do anything with that church or denomination. And so it's acceptable within culture to say that I am a Christian, but never be expected to show that. Whereas when you get into other cultures and you get into other places throughout the world, that's not a reality. You know, if you proclaim Christianity, you could lose your business. You could lose your ability to go and get education. You could lose your life. And yet people are committing to this every day, every single day. And he furthered this illustration yesterday by talking about how when he uh, transitioned back to a larger church in his community after leaving for a couple years, he got back to this church and a couple weeks later, an individual confronted him uh, in the community and said, you have made the right decision coming back to so-and-so church. Your business will greatly grow now. Your business will greatly grow now. How many people do you think 20, 30, 40 years ago sat in the pews of the church because their business would grow? Because their social status within the community would grow. And that was why they were there. That was why they chose to go where they went. And so they showed up on Sunday not because they loved Jesus, not because they wanted a closer relationship with Jesus, but they knew that if they didn't show up, they may not get business the next week or two weeks later. And unfortunately, that is a sad reality in our culture where you see people overseas who are dying because of their proclamation of Jesus and then you see people in America who are unwilling to really make that commitment even though there is no burden of sacrifice that we have. It is easy to follow Christ in America. Now, it may get much more difficult and it may be more difficult than it once was. But here's what I know when it comes to the persecution of Christ followers. The church grows. The church strengthens when persecution happens. And so here's what I want you to see in 1 John 2, 3 through 6. It says this, by this, we know that we have come to know him. By this, we, so John is saying this. He's saying, by this, you can be distinguished as a believer. By this, you can be known as a follower of Christ. And then what does he say? If we keep his commandments. If we keep his commandments. Now, we have been given a great gift. We know the beginning and we know the end story. We know everything that's in here from start to what's going to happen in the future. We know what Jesus said, and we know how he lived. And so it should be very easy for us to see how we are supposed to live in turn. And so the one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments 
is a liar and the truth is not in him. Now think about that for a moment. Have you ever in your life said, I love Jesus, and then your actions immediately spoke a different, spoke something else? Have you ever done that? Because what God is saying through John is, man, watch your behavior because right now you're lying. Your actions don't speak to your belief or your claim. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this, we know that they or we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner that he walked. If you want to know how to live your life, walk in the same manner in which Jesus walked. You know, years ago, we all had those bracelets or those necklaces, WWJD, anybody remember? And the whole point of it was for you to be walking along and be like, man, I'm about to curse out this person, but WWJD. Jesus wouldn't have done it, so I'm not going to do it. I mean, that was the whole point of this bracelet. Now, it became a trend, a fad, but it was supposed to be a physical reminder when you're about to do something against God to stop, to look, and to say, you know what? He wouldn't have done this, so I'm going to step back and not do it myself. And so we should be in scripture enough that we don't need that bracelet, that the Holy Spirit, whenever we're in those circumstances, whenever we're in those situations where we start to do something that's against God or we start to do something that's not in his commandments or what we observe in his behavior, that we step back and say, you know what, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there for two reasons, because I love Jesus, but also I want to be a reflection of Jesus. I want to be a reflection of Jesus. So obeying his commands from what we gather in the scripture does what? Along with love, it proves our salvation. It is a mark on us that proves our salvation. Now, it's not a mark on us that we got saved through works, I mean, we learned that last week, that you're not saved just by your actions. So it's through faith we're saved. Faith comes from recognizing God's love for us and loving him in return. And because of that faith, works come, actions come. And so because of the belief that you have in Jesus, based on his love for you, based on your love for him, you see his actions. So salvation isn't conditional. It's not, hey, if you don't do these certain things, you're not saved. God has never said that in scripture. He's not sitting there saying, you know what? If you don't do these things 10 times a week, you're not saved. If here's a spiritual checklist, if you're not meeting those, you're not saved. He's not saying that. What he's saying is, here's a spiritual checklist of things that should be observable in your life if you love Jesus. If you love Jesus, these things should be seen in your life. 
In the Old Testament, the prophet Hosea complained that the people of Israel did not know God. Why did he complain? There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in this land. There is only cursing, lying, murder, stealing, and adultery. Now think about that for a moment. If you walked into a church who proclaimed Jesus as Lord and taught what he taught, and you walked in and all you saw were these things that are of the world, what would your picture of the church be? How many people in this world do that? They walk in the church and they say, you know what? I hear you say, Jesus, 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 but I see something completely different. I see an alternate reality. And so I can only assume that this alternate reality is what is reality. Because if I hear you and I see you, nine times out of 10, I'm gonna go off what I see and not off of what I hear. And so as Christians, we gotta be very careful that our actions match the things that are coming out of our mouths. The proclamations that we make are the same as the life that we live. And so we have to be very careful in doing that. Obeying his commands transforms our life. We talked about at Easter, the, the word sanctification. Sanctification is just basically telling us that as Christians, we're not perfect, so we're not glorified yet, we're not in our perfect state, but through a relationship with Christ, we're getting there. We're getting there. And so when we obey his commands, it gets us a step further, and it starts to transform our lives to where instead of having to look at our wrist at a bracelet every five seconds to make sure we're doing right, it's starting to become natural. It's starting to become a first choice within our hearts, within our lives. And, and so that's what we're looking at and that's what we're doing is that we're building that relationship. We're building that obedience. And so obedience is transforming our life. Now, the truth is, and I touched on it earlier, obedience comes from an overflow of our love for God. Three motives for obedience exist within the world that we live in. We can obey because we have to, we can obey because we need to, or we can obey because we want to. And if you look at history, a slave obeys because he has to. He is forced to do it. An employee obeys because he needs to. If he doesn't, he doesn't receive the paycheck the next week. And he can choose otherwise, but he will be hurt. But a believer obeys God's word because he wants to because there's a relationship between him and God. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. That's Jesus speaking to the people. Jesus speaking to his disciples. If you love me, you will obey 
what I command. And so basically, the closer we get to God, the more we want to do what he tells us to do. The more we want to be obedient, the more we want our life to reflect his teachings and his behaviors. We keep the commandments because we are love or have love for God. When we comprehend what Jesus did for us on the cross, what God did for us through Jesus, when we comprehend that, when that becomes a reality to us, that we look at our sin life and where we were destined to be, and we look at God, perfect creator, Jesus, perfect sacrifice, and nothing could ever connect us other than Jesus, there should be a love. There should be a woe moment like, man, I can't believe that Jesus did this for me. I can't believe that Jesus paid the price so that I wouldn't have to. And so then lastly, obedience should be a distinguishing characteristic of Christian lives. It should be a distinguishing characteristic. Love, distinguishing characteristic. Obedience, distinguishing characteristic. Gandhi, one of the most well-known peace people in the world, just uh, profound in his teachings, love for people. He was not a Christian by all accounts. Now, he came to a point in his life where he read the teachings of Jesus. And he said, man, I identify with this way of life and I would be a Christian. But you know what he said next? He said, I would be a Christian, but I've met some. If it wasn't for Christian people, I would be a Christian. Now think about that for a moment. How would you like to be the Christian person that Gandhi met that turned you or turned Gandhi away from wanting to accept Jesus? That he was all ready, but then he saw the way people actually lived their life. David Platt, in his book, Radical, something that I've touched on multiple times since I've been here, he says, I was confronted with a startling reality. Jesus actually spurned the things that my church culture said were a priority, said were most important. So what was I to do? I found myself faced with big questions. The first was simple. Was I going to believe Jesus? Was I going to embrace what Jesus said, even if it's different from the crowd, even if it's different from the organization? And then second, the question was more challenging. Was I going to obey Jesus? My biggest fear now is that I will hear Jesus' words and I will walk away because I don't want to fall in to being outside the world. Platt concludes that chapter. First, from the outset, you need to commit to believe whatever Jesus says. As a Christian, it would be a grave mistake to come to Jesus and say, let me hear what you have to say and then let me have the option to choose something different. But yet that's what a lot of Christians do. They come to Jesus and they look through this text and they say, okay, there are some things that I really like about what he's presenting to me. I like heaven. I like a relationship with God. But there are also some things that I really would rather not implement into my life. I'd really rather not 
make a priority. And so can I pick and choose? Listen, let me put it in a term that you can understand being from the South, being from a people who like to eat. Christianity is not a buffet. It's here it is, take it or leave it. This is who I am. This is my commands. Follow me, pick up your cross, come after me, or don't. And God's brokenhearted by those who choose not to, but Christianity is not gonna tell you, listen, hey, you get to define what it is. You get to define what Christ was telling us. No, he lays it all out and says, either you want it or not. To put it in reality terms, you buy as is or you walk away from the deal because we're not changing anything. I mean, Jesus basically tells us the only thing that's gonna be changed in this process is you if you allow me to. The only thing that's gonna be changed in all of this is you and you'll be better for it, but you have to come to the realization that who you are now isn't good. It's not who you were created to be. And that's not a slide on you. There's a lot of quote unquote good people that don't know Jesus, but they're not who they were created to be. And so if we turn to God, and want to be who he created us to be, it's going to take change. It's going to take obedience. It's going to take our lives reflecting our words, and we have to get there, and we have to make sure that that's a priority, and we can't just write it off and say, hey, maybe I will, maybe I won't. No, it has to be a priority. And so if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I encourage you to come and talk to me about that. If you're watching us on Facebook and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I'd love for you to make contact with me somehow or somebody who you know knows Jesus and find out what that looks like. But for many of us, we need to step back and say, God, does my life reflect you? God, is there obedience in my life? And if not, man, I need to start walking through this and processing how to be who I'm supposed to be. Because this reveals it. You don't need anything else other than this to figure out who God is and what he wants from you. And so many of us have to step back and say, God, I believe that I know you, but even if I do know you, has my life walked away from your teaching? Help me get back to what I'm supposed to be. And so that's my encouragement to you. Last week, it was all about making sure that there was love in your heart. This week, it's all about, is your life reflecting God? Are you obedient to his teachings? Are you obedient to his (coughs) actions? Is it a part of your everyday life? God, we love you. We thank you for your many blessings. Thank you for bringing us here today. I pray that our heart gets connected to you. I pray that 
we are obedient to what you teach us in your scripture and that it is what we reflect to this world, what we show to this world. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for coming again. If, if you need to talk, I'm here this week. If you're watching and need to contact me, you can either call the church or send me an email or contact me through Facebook. But as we close, we're just going to have a time of worship, and then Cullen will close us in prayer.